Thank you so much, guys. My name is Amy Spain Duncan. I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is March 6th of 2010. I'm sponsored by a woman who is sponsored by a woman who is sponsored. I sponsor women who sponsor women who sponsor women. I love that part of this deal because I need guidance. I need some handholding. I'm an idiot and I will think I have a great idea and I need somebody to remind me that I am still in step one, man. I'm still powerless and my life's still unmanageable because the ego is always fighting to return. And that's what I battle with every day. Right. Um, I have a home group. I have two home groups. I have a, a in-person home group called Lampton and uh, Lampton raised me. And I'm telling you, they had a job ahead of them, but they they treated me with the patience, tolerance and love that, that we treat the newcomer. And and they taught me how to set up a chair and, and make coffee and stand at a door. And I love that. And um and the, and I I touch base there. I go there. It's it's like grandfather's apple tree, you know. Like the world gets scary and spinny, and I run to my home group, and and my friends are there, and they're happy to see me, and I'm happy to see them, and and we share this message. It's a three legacy home group. We practice service unity and and recovery. We have H and I outreach, um, and I don't know what you call it in your part of the world, but hospitals and institutions. We like we are a firing line group. You know, we're a, we're a, a newcomers uh, meeting. I also have an online home group or a Zoom home group called Hope for Today, and, and that's for some of the women that you saw come in, and and what a neat thing that's been. Um, you know, sobriety is about expansion and, and uh, whatever COVID, the world um, closed down and my world got bigger and bigger and bigger uh, because I have friends all over the world that I can uh, do things with. So that that more, uh, you know, weird things that happen, like how does that happen? But it, that's what happened from that. Um, yesterday was my dad's 35th uh, AA celebration and, you know, had he been still alive he died with 30 years of sobriety and and i hear that first step and what ralph read and i i get emotional i i just the sacredness the holiness of what we do is not lost on me and i i laugh and i love to have a good time uh and it brings me a lot of joy but man this thing we do this thing we do um and the desperation I came in with, that there was nothing funny, there was nothing joyful, life was a veil of tears, you know, and I was mad about it. I was angry. I was full of rage. I'm a... um, yesterday was my birthday. I turned 53 years old and uh, I cried this morning because there was a time in my life uh, where I had, I was telling you, you know, how tough I thought I was. I had, uh, I get mad and when I get mad, I, I like to make a scene, you know, cause we're, we're very, you know, grandiose. And so I flipped the table. I cussed everybody out, threatened to kill several folks. And I went to leave after that. Cause after that, the only thing you can do is, is leave. And uh, as I was leaving, I, I hit the door and I put my arm through the window and, and ruptured my brachial artery and I'm bleeding to death. And I got to go back in where I just uh, threatened everyone inside and say, you know, I know we're not getting along. Things were said, but um, I need some help. And thank God uh, they didn't push me out the door to bleed to death in the alley in the back, which happens. You know, that happens. And they didn't do that. And they called an ambulance. And I'm down at the ER. It's three, four o'clock in the morning. I haven't talked to my family in months. Nobody knows where I am. And uh, and nobody, you know, the nurse came around the corner because they were getting ready to take me into surgery. And I'll never forget this moment. She looked at me and said, who do you want us to call? And I had no answer. I couldn't think of one person that I should call at two or three in the morning in my hour of need. And uh, yesterday I, I had my birthday, and you know how Facebook is, and all these people, happy birthday, Amy. And I, this morning I was overwhelmed with it, and I broke down crying. And I think how far I've come, how different life is today. And, and any of those people, I could call any one of them. And they would answer. And, and so things change for us. So, so in our step work in the beginning, it's about getting sober, man. I got to get sober. I would come to your meetings and I would hold your hand and I would drink your coffee and I would say your prayer. And I still drank. I couldn't stop drinking. And you, there would be well-meaning people who would say, don't drink and go to meetings. And I'd say, man, it's that first part I'm hung up on. 
<laughs> I can come to your meetings. You know, that's not my problem. My problem is the don't drink. Like I can't get there. I can't string together 24 hours. I'm in your meeting two or three times a day getting white chips. And thank God you clapped every time. Thank you for that. You know, thanks for not shaking your finger or, or telling me maybe this wouldn't work for me. You know, you embrace me with love. And I, and I, would, I meant it when I get that white chip. Man, I, the desperation, the, the desire to quit. But, I, but it took me so long to get there. And, and finally... In 2010, you know, we, we talk all the time about, you know, being born without the instructions to life. And I feel like in 2010, you handed me the instructions. There's the manual. There, there's, the, there's the how to do it, man. And I became a student of the literature. I mean, I had different highlighters and I underlined, I wrote in the margin, I bought a dictionary, you know, like, I mean, I was here for it. I ate it up because it was like you had handed me something that I was missing. And, but it took so long, you know, when we're in that, in the act of alcoholism, we do not connect the dots. It was so long for me to get to step one, right? I started drinking in junior high, you know, and I drink alcoholically. I love what Ralph read because that's the definition of alcoholism, right? I am the real alcoholic. I am bodily and mentally different than my fellows. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that I'm not cross addicted. I, I, I'm grateful that I know what's wrong with me. You know, and the doctor's opinion broke that down. And, and, and in Bill, I could relate to how he thinks, how he feels, how he drinks. You know, I, uh, I figured out what was wrong with me. But for so long, I didn't know. I didn't know. I truly believe what was wrong with me was that my daddy left when I was seven, that, you know, I got kicked off the basketball team, you know, I had that mom was too mean, like uh, my problems were all them, those and they situations and circumstances and a string of bad luck. You know, that's what I thought my life was. I had no idea that, that I would, that alcoholism was what was wrong with me. And until I got there, until I could connect the dots, I don't need your help, right? I don't need your help if, if, if there's nothing wrong with me. If it's your problem, I'm just struggling to try to fix you. And that's in vain. I'm a real wild teenager. I'm out of control. My life is unmanageable from early, early on. Um, I'm a, I, I, I fight people. I, um, I sleep with your boyfriend. I, you know, women are very sensitive about that. I ended up in a lot of fist fights uh, because, you know, they would get, you know, protective of that. I, I don't even want it, really. It was just Friday. You can have it back Saturday. You know, I, I use men situations, things to just constantly get what I wanted. And and I, I ended up changing high schools four times. We never moved. Uh, I changed high schools because I can't get along with you. And I don't know how to be accountable. I don't know anything about my part. I am a tornado. I mean, I relate so much with everything our book describes. And I am just creating chaos. Uh, and there's a solution we talk about, you know, the, the wives, the blameless children, the employers, that was me. Uh, when I got sober in 2010, I, I had a tough sponsor. She, she pulled no punches with me. And I, I remember calling her one time and just, you know, whatever, whining about something that wasn't fair, you know. And uh, she said, the only people we're going to feel sorry for is anybody that's met you. And she hung up on me. I thought it was pretty rash, man. Uh, but self-pity was off the table because I lived in self-pity. I lived in what they did to me. You know, that's where I existed. And and until I could move past that, I, I didn't have any shot at, at uh, recovery. Um I ended up having a baby at 19. I'm drinking every day. I need I need to say that. And I, I want to kind of circle back to that, that Ralph read, right? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me is that I have a physical allergy. I do not respond to alcohol in a normal way. And I, you know, the processing, the way the liver, the acetone level, I don't know what it is. But when I drink, I've never said, uh, to my recollection, I think I've had enough. 
I don't, I don't think those words have ever crossed out of my mouth. You know, mine is more, you know, some, it's a, some people, they have a couple drinks, they lay down, they chill out, buddy, you just started my engine, a couple drinks and I, and the excitement builds. And I mean, I can feel it move through me as it hits my belly. I get warm and we're ready to go. And buddy, I want to rock and roll. I just throw it into full throttle and I run around town and I get in fist fights and I do inappropriate and tragic things. That's what I do when I drink. And I never plan on it. I never plan on it. It is without my permission this happens. I plan on having a few drinks with friends. I plan on going to a, a party. You know, I plan on going to a football game. I plan on going to my mother's. But what ends up happening is I take a drink. And when that happens, didn't matter what I was planning on. What's going to happen is unpredictable and usually tragic. <laughs> uh, it, so, but then what happens is when I'm not drinking, I'm thinking about drinking. That uh, mental upset, connecting the dots, figuring out what was wrong with me. I can, Peter says we live life forward and we understand it backwards. And that's true for me because looking back uh, as I examine my relationship with alcohol in step one, right? As I examine things, as I look back at, at is this true? Is this who I am? Is this my diagnosis? You know, are the dots connected? What I can tell you is from my first drink, I began to mentally obsess about alcohol. Things that had once been important began to slide down the priority list. Things like good grades, who cares? Things like track, who cares? Things like musical instruments and marching band, who cares? Right? Things like friendships and relationships, who cares? Things like I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a degree, who cares? I am thinking about when are we going to drink again? Who's buying it? Because it's hard to drink, you know, it's like you want at 13. So I, I'm planning, I'm conniving, I'm, my brain is constantly figuring out when we can do that again and what it's going to look like and how it's going to be and will there be enough? That was always a fear. I remember always counting, you know, and then counting the room, like how's this going to get divided and am I going to get enough? Right. Because, you know, I'm a glutton and I want to make sure I get mine. You know, I want the biggest piece of the pie. And by the time my child is born at 19 years old, I am putting something in my body every day, every day, because I'm not comfortable in this world and I need ease and comfort. And so I, I'm, act, I'm, in, I'm in full-blown alcoholism at 19 years old, but I have this family around me that kind of holds the net and keeps things together and continues to help me and pay bills and offer me a place to live, you know, so it doesn't look as messy as it's going to be. Um, I... Uh, was working at a bar and I, I love that, man. I can, I can still smell the cigarettes and the piss on the floor, man. I'm not nice bars. I'm not a high, you know, I'm a low bottom drunk. Cause my dad used to say, I'm always looking for a place where my unacceptable behavior will be acceptable. Right. And the book talks about sorted uh, places. And so that's me. I, I water seeks its own level and I am I'm in the trenches. Right. I want to be where there is a, you know, blood and piss and cigarettes. I like it grimy and dirty and chaotic, you know, because that matches what I think of me inside. And that matches what I think and, and the thoughts in my head. So I have to level it out. So I run with you know, criminals <laughs> and I'm a criminal. So it's fine. We're all criminals here. And, and that's what I do. And I start dating the bouncer cause I like to fight and he likes to fight. And we used to get drunk and fight each other and drunk. I think I can whoop a Marine uh, again, part of the delusion, right? Part of the delusion. And uh, you know, I have to say again, the literature, the steps, the solution, I believe that. I believe that that man was abusive and that I was a victim of that and poor me. And uh, my sponsor said, didn't you say when you drank, you were very violent? I said, yeah. She said, was he ever protecting himself? <laughs> and we laughed and laughed because we knew it was true. I will stab you. Like I have no bones about it. I have a rage. I black out. I want to cause harm. And, um, and I was a volunteer in that. And we fought each other. 
and uh, he usually won, um, but we fought each other, and uh, I got pregnant by him, and he took off, and thank God, because I think that relationship, one of us was going to die, like, that was, that was the level of insanity it operated at, and um, he left, and I got mad, so I started dating his little brother, um, because that really makes men mad, (laughs) and, uh, and I like to poke a bear. You know, I, I'm not about poking a bear. Anyway, he didn't like his brother that much anyway. And so it seemed like it would work out because we had a common enemy. And he and I got married. And, uh, you know, I remember as Led Zeppelin played in the chapel, uh, I looked at him and I said to him, I need a beer. And he said, I know. And I was I was 24 years old and I needed a beer, man. Um, because the day before he had made me promise that I wouldn't drink before our afternoon wedding. These are red flags. These are tells, right? But none of us are seeing enough that you have to say to the bride, please don't show up to your own wedding plastered, you know? But that was the conversation we had to have. And so I hadn't had a drink and it was four in the afternoon and I needed a beer. And we, um, we said I do, and I and I couldn't wait to get to that reception and uh, tap that keg at the VFW, because I'm a classy girl, and we had a blast, and we got drunk, and drinking still had some fun moments, um, but there was a line I would cross, and the fun would stop, and the and the insanity would seep in, and the, and that's the way it was going to go. A year into that marriage, he said, "I'm leaving you, man." Uh, I, I didn't sign up for all this. And that's the frothy emotional appeal, appeal that Ralph was reading about, right? And, and I was 25 years old and it sufficed. There, there was something, maybe I was a hard drinker, right? So there's this thing where something can happen, being in love, a new job, and we can stop. But I knew I couldn't stop alone. And I called my dad and <laughs> my dad brought me to AA. And I was 25 years old and I quit drinking. I just quit drinking. I hung out with you guys. I drank your coffee. I held your hand. I said your prayers and I didn't drink. And I went to a lot of meetings and I had a lot of fun. And buddy, I love the fellowship because uh, it's the same reason I love the bar. We're all here and we're funny and we're clever and there's always something going on. And if you're lucky, there might be a fist fight. And I'm here for it. I, I got my coffee. I'm sitting down. I grab my cookie. I'm watching the show, man. I'm having a blast and Alcoholics Anonymous, the fellowship, the companionship, the connection. And I love to see this. It was the only place I wasn't in trouble. Because I had been in trouble since I was about seven years old. You know, I'm that kid, right? You talk too much, you lose everything, you can't think, right? What's going on? You know, I know now, like I have whatever ADHD, but Gen X, nobody cared. Nobody gave me a fidget spinner. They were just like, what's wrong with you? You know, and the nuns told me to sit down and shut up. And and I couldn't. And I was always in the principal's office. I was all. and, And then once I started drinking, man, I'm in trouble. Because my behaviors are absurd and tragic and, and I, I'm destroying everything, an annihilation of all things uh, worthwhile for, in this life. And, and that's what's happening. But with you, I wasn't in trouble. You seem to understand. And, and Ralph read that, right? So the message must have depth and weight. And in there's a solution. It talks about how we're going to lie to doctors. We're going to lie. You know, we're going to get defensive and unapproachable by other people. But when you talk to me, when you talk to me, I believe you. And that's the magic that happens when one alcoholic is helping another and you help me. And I didn't drink and I stayed sober and me and him got better, right? I had two more kids by him and we got four kids and we bought a bigger house and we moved to the country and I decided I'm going to be a hippie. Hippies don't beat people up and stab people. I don't think they do. So I dug a fire pit and I've planted a garden and I bought some tie-dye kits and, and I started smoking weed. And then I got thirsty. So I started drinking beer, right? See, I had no idea at that time with you. I hadn't conceded to my innermost self. I hadn't really connected the dots. You know, when you quit drinking, your life will get better. It is just, a, it's just a fact. It's just going to happen, right? But to maintain sobriety and find true freedom, happy, joyous, and free, right? How free do you want to be? Man, that's in the work. That's in the price must be paid. And I hadn't done any of that. And I quickly, and I hadn't read page 31. 
So I thought all my ideas were novel and brilliant. I'm going to take a trip. I'm not going to take a trip. I'm going to be a hippie and I won't beat anybody up. You know, I'm only going to drink on Sundays. I, I thought I was just, a, I whooped alcohol. I figured it out, you know, years, millions of years of, of development. And, and, uh, and I broke the code, you know, and, and I thought that, and, and it wasn't true because I'm, I'm the real alcohol. And, uh, Things got real dark. I, I just want to tell you that at 25, 26, 27 years old, I sat in your meetings and I heard stories from podiums and I couldn't believe them. I thought, oh my God, that's awful. Right? I'm eligible too. And uh, I, I didn't know who the four horsemen were at 26 and 27 years old. Uh, but when you return to drinking, you have the opportunity <laughs> uh, to learn new levels of darkness. And uh, he and I divorced and I, I lost that last job. And I love how Bill talks about no one knew that I was not going to work again. Man, I was going to get a job come Monday. Come Monday, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to get this straightened out, man. Who knew that it would be years before I would work again? What I did in the, I worked, but it was a hustle. And anyway, I didn't file taxes. I'm out here stealing, robbing and prostituting myself to men, you know, to get what I need because that's what I do. Because when I have to have a drink, see, I have to do whatever's necessary to get that drink. And uh, this is where I learned about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Yeah. But remember, I'm angry. So when I, you know, I, I first hit the, the market, I'm an escort. And that sounds very nice, doesn't it? That sounds beautiful. And I was making a lot of money. But as my disease progresses, um, I'm not that anymore. And, and within me develops this rage. And so if you're in that, if you're in the entertainment business, the companionship industry, uh, one of your jobs is to laugh at jokes and feed the ego and tell, oh, you're so funny. You're so smart. You're so cute. You know, that's, that's part of the gig, right? That's what you do. And uh, this darkness is filling in me. And I haven't seen my kids and I don't talk to my family and I can't stop drinking. And I, I can't play the game anymore, man. I, you're not funny and you're not cute. And I just need you to give me that money so I can keep it moving. And it gets desperate. And I always like to say, you know, business was bad. <laughs> My business wasn't doing well because uh, not a lot. There's not a big market for angry prostitutes, you know. So, so things were getting tough, you know, uh, for me. And and so now I'm stealing and I'm robbing and I and I'm getting dangerously antisocial. And and that, that's what I want to talk about. That um, where we become dangerously antisocial, and that's what was happening to me. I didn't value my life, and I couldn't value yours. This is happening, guys. I'm 36 years old, 37 years old, and my brain doesn't say, go back to AA. It doesn't say that. Like, we can get so back far away from solution and, and darkness that we can't even produce the thought. And I see that happen to sober people. I see sober people begin to try to what manage my, I'm managing my life. They, they fall back into self-will. They get all the things that AA gives them and they fade out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I tell you what, man, it's like walk, watching a train wreck. You're hoping for the best, but you start seeing the, the, the mind shift and, and the darkness Come and the answers do not come like they used to. My friend Johnny says, everything I learned in AA has a shelf life of about 48 hours. And when I get away from you, the stinking thinking will return. Man, I'll start getting indignant and expecting and deserve and they're not treating me right. And the self-pity and the, the anger will come back. This all starts to happen when I'm not plugged in with you and source. Um, I want to tell you that in 2010, my dad picked me up off a street corner and he took me to a homeless shelter and, and uh, something happened. And I love that. Uh, I love that in Alcoholics Anonymous. Something happened. I've been coming to your meetings. I've been getting your white chest, but I couldn't quit drinking. But that day, something happened. 
And uh, I walked into a detox center in a homeless shelter, non-medical. You just shake. If you go into a seizure, they'll call an ambulance. But uh, they want you to remember the pain, you know. And I was fine with me. And I laid there and I and I shook. And and women took care of each other in there. And and something happened. And I think I gave up. Right? I gave up the surrender that we're talking about in step one. This is where I ceased fighting, where I, where I just, I've connected the dots, man. And I've, I've given up trying to fix it. I, I've been waiting on come Monday for years, man, years. And Monday, I never do what I thought I was going to do. And, and time is wasting and I'm dying. Uh, so I finally, um, I just, I don't know what happened. I wish I could explain it to you. I know that it was uh, grace. I think it was prayers, the prayers for the still suffering, the prayers my grandmother said, the prayers that my father said, um, the prayers that we say, but something happened that day, man. And I just, I knew something was different and I went in there and I laid down. And uh, the neatest thing, I wrote myself a note that said, this is a good idea. And I carried that for about eight months because we will change our minds we will change our minds. And I wrote that note and I carried it for about eight months. And whenever I wanted to leave that center or not go to the meeting or not call my sponsor or practice dishonesty, that note would come up and it would say, this is a good idea. And what happened is during that detox period, I finally, I thought, what the heck, what the heck do I have to lose? I had nothing. When I moved, I remember checking in and they had a nun there and she said, uh, honey, where's your stuff? And I thought that was a trick question. I didn't have stuff. I had this lighter that I would let you use if you gave me shorts on your cigarettes because you didn't get anything from me that I wasn't, you know, bargaining to get something back. That's the way I lived. And that's what I brought to you. And, uh, I had nothing to lose. And so I, I, they gave me the book. I started, I remember reading there is a solution and tears just fall from my eyes. Like you gave me the, the book and I started reading it and I related. I understood step one, what is wrong with me? Doctor's opinion tells me, do I feel, think and drink like Bill? Yes, I do. And I didn't know that again, sponsorship. Cause I told my sponsor, I don't know who Walter Hagen is. Who cares? I don't know these words. I, I, what did, I had to look up doggerel. I was unfamiliar with the term, you know, like I didn't know. And she took me to page six. The horror and remorse in the next morning are unforgettable. She said, you know what that means? Man. Yeah. Right. An all night joint supplied what I need. You know, any of those? Yeah. I know the all night joints, you know. Two bottles of gin and oblivion. Yeah, I know what that means. You know, I began to find myself in that book. I began to connect the dots. I began to figure out what was wrong with me. I have alcoholism. I love, uh, I was doing a big book the other week and it said, um, and to the wives, you know, and honestly, like we skipped that right uh, so many times, <laughs> at least I wanted to, but there's a line in there that stuck with me. And it said the strange world of alcoholism, where everything is distorted and exaggerated, man, everything was exaggerated and distorted the strange world of alcoholism. I knew what was wrong with me. I knew where I had lived for so long. And there you were. There you were with the solution. There you were with the step one proposal, right? That I am powerless. That no matter the necessity or the wish, I cannot stop drinking. That when I drink, I, I trigger a phenomenon, a craving that does not exist in other people. And that I have this mental obsession, this selfishness, this self-centeredness, this, this, this need to blot out the intolerable consciousness of my existence. Man, it all started making sense. It all started clicking. I got excited because I always thought I was just crazy, which is probably true too, to an extent. But because but, yeah. My friend Mari, who's one of my favorite speakers, um, I heard her in Tennessee one time. I was new in sobriety. I was about two years sober, and I was at the Music City Roundup, and she said, uh, 
I always knew something was wrong with me because people always said something's wrong with you. And man, I never related to something more. I was like, what? You had given me this, this, these answers for things that I could not otherwise explain. I, how do you abandon your kids? Who, who does that? Who does that? Who puts their hands on their mother? Who does that? Who destroys everything they touch? Man, I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I got with you and you started talking to me about how you felt in your story and your message carried depth and weight. I heard a speaker say, alcoholism will take motherhood from you. I thought, man, it did. And I didn't set out to be a bad mom. I didn't set out to be a bad daughter. None of us are innately bad, but I believe that about myself. And the more people I heard, it just seemed evident that that was true and I couldn't escape it. And then I met you. I met you. Um, my friend Peter says, uh, my sobriety date is the day that a loving and merciful God interrupted my death. And I believe that. And then I got with you. And, and I love what Ralph says. And then I came all the way in and I sat all the way down. I knew I had nothing left to lose. And all I could do was ask questions and read the literature and take the action and do the next right thing. You know, uh, I, I love sponsorship because, uh, man, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know what sober people did. That was foreign to me. I, I remember being sober. I got in a job, I, in, uh, not prostitution. It was like a legitimate job where I went to orientation, and filled out a, you know, W-9, you know, I was employable. And uh, my sponsor calls one day. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm driving up here to the liquor store. She said, oh, my God, for what? I said, well, oh, don't worry. I'm not going to know. I'm going to cash my check. She said, why are you why are you going to the liquor store to cash your check? And I thought that was a silly question. I said, well, because it's like a dollar cheaper than Walmart. You know, they'll cash it for you there, you know, for two dollars. And she said, no, honey, why aren't you going to a bank? to cash your check. And I thought, well, that, I had never considered that. <laughs> you know, and she's like, I want you to go to the bank and I, and I want you to open a, a, an account. And uh, I didn't know sober people use banks. I didn't know you all did banking that way. I, I keep my money in, you know, my sock and cash my checks at the liquor store. So I, I had to learn some, that same job that I got that I loved, two years into it, the ego returns. And I decide these people aren't treating me right. And so I cuss them all out. I throw my keys. Out. I mean, I, I'm violent still. That hasn't gone away. I'm less violent. I'm less violent. There's less chance of me raging out, but it exists because these steps, they set me in neutral ground from alcoholism, but I am in a lifetime journey with six and seven, you know, I am in a lifetime journey for, to unlearn, right, these old ideas and beliefs pulled out root and branch, that didn't happen for me overnight, like I could believe that love and kindness were appropriate, and I should do that to an extent, I believe that violence wasn't right, to an extent, there was always a line where I would set behind me what you were saying and I would take over again. And that line sometimes had to do with, with, with fear. It always had to do with fear. It always had to do with fear. Like you're all love and tolerance and all these beautiful things. That's fine as far as it goes. But what about if I feel threatened, right? What about if it's one of my kids? What about then? Does this God idea work, right? When I got sober, I had a hit out on a guy. And my sponsor said, uh, you know, is there anything going on in your life that uh, would pull you out of, you know, and I said, oh, no, no, actually, everything's great. I said, there was this situation, but it's being handled. She she recognized me and she's what do you mean that by that? And I said, well, my daughter was dating this guy and he's violent. He's a, he's a real threat. He's a threat to her. And so, um, but anyway, it's going to be fine. It's it's all taken care of and I'll be here. And she said, honey, you can't kill anyone and uh, stay sober. 
And I said, well, I'm not going to kill anyone. I'm, I'm going to be right here with 200 alibis. This is we're actually worked out pretty good. And she said, no, honey, you can't have anything to do with anybody getting hurt and stay sober. And I remember looking at it and I believe that, I mean, I'm talking about to the depths of my being. I said, maybe you can't, you know, I will sleep fine. In fact, I will sleep better knowing that threat has been eliminated. How, you know, how, how free do I want to be? How much do I believe this deal? You know, am I all in? Am I sitting all the way down? Am I willing to take my hands off things and not self-will to not resort to old ideas and old beliefs and old behaviors, right? And I'm talking about when the rubber meets the road, when you're frightened, when you're frightened, when you're finding, when you those instincts that they're going to talk about later today in the four step, when somebody's trampling them, man, when you're knocked out of your box, when the finances and the romances and the security and all that is, is you, you, you believe is being threatened. How do I behave then? Man, I didn't know what sober people did. This is a journey. I'm learning five years sober. I kicked in my neighbor's door and I threatened to kill everyone in there. And I meant that five years sober, 10 years sober. I put my hands on a sponsor. Now, now listen, there were years between these things, but buddy, here comes that stuff. That stuff still showing up. Those old behaviors, those old ideas, those old responses to life, they're still popping up, you know, because I don't know what sober people do. And I'll resort to my old ideas. Step one, that surrender it's about going to you guys and saying, hey, man, I, I don't know what sober people do in situations like this. Can you help me? My life is unmanageable. The manager <laughs> needs a sign that says under new management, right? I drove it into the ground. I had to, I had to get somewhere else with this. And, I, I, and that's my step one, that, that surrender. And it, and it happens to get us sober, to get us here, you know, to, to have us beaten into a state of reasonableness so we can un, receive information. The gift of desperation that, uh, that allows me to do things I don't understand. Like, you know, because these guys, I got big, big problems. I'm homeless. I haven't had a, a decent job in five years. My family doesn't talk to me. I'm estranged from my children. I can't stand me and I can't stand you. And, and some old timers telling me, uh, honey, why don't you come early and help set up the chairs? Now, how's that going to help me? You know, how's that going to help me? Hey, you guys are crazy, man. But step one allows me to say, yeah, what time do you want me here? And I set up the chairs. I say, so why don't you stay after, Amy? We're going to make another pot of coffee. Because I didn't know where, where sober people went after 9 p.m. You all, you all say the, the Lord's Prayer and then you disappear into the mist. And I can't sleep. And I, and I don't know what's going on. And I, I don't have anybody to talk to. Thank God for the men and women that stay for the meeting after the meeting. They grab the, the lost and confused and they say, hey, we're going to go get a piece of pie or, or we can just stand out here and talk. You know, I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that part. I never want to get so sober that I stopped seeing that woman because what you guys did for me um, saved my life. And, and step one allowed me to figure out what was wrong with me. And then it allowed me to take some help in the admission of my unmanageability. I was open for learning, you know, in the, in the identification of what was wrong with me and your depth and weight, I was able to connect and really believe that maybe for the first time, somebody had a real answer for me. And I, and I had this willingness just to kind of follow direction, follow direction. I, and I said that before this, I heard this in my home group, you know, it's a copycat program. Just be careful what cat you're copying. And see, when I was drinking, I'm a tough girl. I look for the tough, tough guys don't tell you they're tough, right? They just don't. And so when I walk in a scene, I'm looking, I'm figuring out who I'm going to hang out with. 
And when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous, God gave me his best. He set me right down in, in a home group that was perfect for me, filled with people who exist in a fourth dimensional plane, man. They were all in and they were happy, joyous and free. And they were doing all three things, man. That was the leaders I had to follow. Those were the men and women that God, he put me in this pocket of enthusiasm where I could grab hold and grow, where I could learn to show up early and set up the chairs and shake hands and stay behind to talk to the woman who just walked in. You know, they, they demonstrated this program of action. And I would go there and, and I want you, you know, but I had to learn the learning doesn't stop and the manageability doesn't come back. I remember getting busy. We get busy in Alcoholics Anonymous, man. That's when we fade out. That's when we say, I can't stay after the meeting. I got to get home to my busy life. And I forget the woman that just walked in and doesn't know where sober people go after 9 p.m. I, I got to stay plugged into this thing because I'll miss the miracle. I'll miss the magic. If I'm not doing it, I'll start managing. Oh, I got to be here and I got to be there and I got to do this at seven and me, me, me and all the things I got to do. Never stopping in the morning to say, what is the role I've been assigned? What would a trusted servant do today? You know, where would you have me be and what would you have me do? That's my purpose, you know, and I watch it all the time, man. I, I tell sponsees, God didn't get you sober. So the electric company was paid on time, you know, and I've never had my electricity turned off in, in sobriety. I don't know how that works. I cussed out that, that first job and I, I intuitively knew my feet are trained. I ran straight to a noon discussion meeting. I raised my hand, I'm like, you know, hypothetically, um, what do sober people do if they like cuss people out and get, you know, slightly aggressive and quit their jobs? What, what do they do then? And you guys are always helpful. You said, uh, well, honey, sober people typically, um, they, if they get tired of their job, they, they find another job. They do that first. Then they put in a thing called a two weeks notice. And I said, that's interesting. I'm going to save that little nugget for next time. Uh, but I had about 30 days where I couldn't find a job. And the first reference I had had, um, you know, had called security on me. So I couldn't write them down. And prior to that, you know, it was self-employed in the entertainment industry. That wasn't going to fly, you know. So there I was in a self-imposed crisis. But this time, the difference was, see, my... When I met you in step one, when I met you, Mark six, my problems had piled up on me and seemed impossible to fix. But two years later, I'd, I'd done all that. I cussed the worst. I lost the job. I didn't have a job. I couldn't get a job. But I knew it wasn't impossible to fix. And I just threw myself into you. I didn't have a job. I didn't have nothing to do but go to meetings. <laughs> I was at every meeting. Who needs a sponsor? You know, I was here for it. I, I was, my time had been freed up uh, while I waited for, uh, for that opportunity to work again came. You know, and that's what I do when I don't know what to do. I come to you. My life is still unmanageable. My life can become very unmanageable, especially when I begin to manage it. I went to my home group. I said, man, I'm, I'm in school full time. I'm about three, four years sober. I decided to go back and get finished my degree. I'm in school full time. I'm sponsoring a ton of women. I've got all these commitments. I, I, my children are back in my life. I have grandkids, my family, all the blessings of Alcoholics Anonymous, man. And I'm busy. I am a busy bee, you know? And uh, I said, man, I went to a home group member I was like man I don't know how to manage my life I mean I don't have to find balance we hear that I don't know how to find balance and uh it was told to me that one of our trusted servants who passed on this year Don uh Don Majors would told his sponsees you know um we're in trouble when we try to start managing and there's no such thing as as balance we're gonna let God do that and they told me to get a calendar and when I had something to do I wrote it in the calendar and and that included uh, time with my husband, a date night or time with my kids and work. And I filled my my calendar, this written calendar. And I put, you know, what where my commitments were. But I included uh, time for myself, time with my sponsor, time with loved ones, time for school. And he said, you know, when people call and they say, hey, Amy, can you? You open your calendar. And if it's blank, you say yes. And if it's not, you say no. And then I let God 
fill my calendar. <laughs> and and, uh, and it does, there's a magic, there's such a weird kind of magic that happens here, I can't. And then and some of you know it and you're like, yeah. And then some of you are like, how's that possible? But there's always enough time and I always have enough energy. And I never think I will, right? That, that seems impossible that I could get all that done in a day or not do anything today and things would be okay or whatever the calendar looks like. But somehow it all works out and somehow there's always enough. And uh, somehow I always feel better when I stick to that plan, right? When I keep those commitments and, and I get all that from you. So I have to continue to be sponsored. I have to continue to recognize and, and guard against uh, the, the tendency of the ego to say, hey, I'm better now. Um, I'm back for that management job. <laughs> Uh, that that is I'm not qualified uh, for for a management position in my own life and, and I know that today in the evidence and I never want to forget that what I am qualified for is to stand by the door I'm qualified to stand at the door I, I love shoemaker's poem it's my favorite because you're going to hear from some really smart people and, and I, I'm getting there man I read a lot I read I am I'm in the step 11 kind of trippy crap you know i i do i love it i i am here for it I, it's expensive we had a homeless guy get sober and he would come from the viaduct to our home group and every day we say hey joe how are you doing how many days you got and joe would say oh i got three days i got four days I kept doing this with joe and one day joe comes in we're like joe how many days you got and joe's like man i got 90 days we're like man joe that's incredible how do you feel joe and uh joe said i used to feel like this and now I feel like this. And um, I get it, Joe. I used to feel like this. My world was small and it was dark and it was crazy. And I've hung out with you and I've done these steps and I continue to do them. But man, I feel like this. It's expansive and it's incredible and it's magic. And I'm here for it, but, um, but I'll get lost in it. I'll get confused in it. And I listen to... Eckhart told you these really sweet. I'm like, I, I got, I was listening to Alan Watts one day, I had to pull over and call Ralph. I was like, Ralph, this dude just said, da, 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 you know, like I get crazy and, uh, and, and I'll spin off and, and, and I get so um, selfish and self-obsessed with Amy and Amy's journey and, and what Amy understands and where Amy's been and all this stuff, man, that I'll forget to stand by the door because that's where I'm most effective. And that's where I need to be. And that's where the miracle happens. I've got so many women on here and men that I have watched. When I met Suzanne, she lived in a homeless shelter. She was estranged from her four children. And I knew that I am her and she is me. And she developed a willingness and she took my hand and man, it's incredible today. I just laugh. She just texts me like, I'm you know, doing this and I'm doing that. And look what the kids sent me. And, and I, I get to bear witness to these miracles, man. This is the greatest show on earth. And I never want to give up my seat. I never want to give up my seat. I want to be in the middle of this deal all the time because it's the place that I am safest. Um, today, I have a relationship with all my kids and it is beautiful and amazing. And, and they love me and I love them and they have a mom they can be proud of. I have grandchildren that have never seen me drink and they think grandma Amy is the bee's knees, man. They, and I dig it and they dig it. And then we have a great time and, and, and I love to be included in their life. My father used to say, when I'm with you, I'm who I always wanted to be. And when I'm with you, I am who I always wanted to be, and I and I can't thank you enough for that. But man, I had to connect the dots. I had to figure out what was wrong with me. I had to recognize my powerlessness over alcohol. I had to recognize my unmanageability and give up the job. See, I can say things are unmanageable, but I can still believe I can fix it. I can still believe that I have a good idea. I can still believe it is only at the end of all things that I find me. At the end of all things, I find God. At the end of all things, do I find you? And with you, it's it's crazy, man. <laughs> I love it. Oh, you're looking at a homeless uh, woman. 15 years ago today, I sat in my own house. I was with Jerry and Steve and Turks and Caicos. I had to Google, where is Turks and Caicos? 
like I, I get that I get to meet incredible people and, and do incredible things and it's nothing I did man I just I came to you and I said what do sober people do and and you gave me direction and I started following the direction and I and I love that we're gonna hear about those steps today it's it's not the treasure it is the map and and I love step one and I and I work with them um, I stay on the firing lines, you know, those are my people, um, like Suzanne, right? I stay on the, I love broken women. I love our third step tradition. Thanks for letting us in guys. We appreciate that, right? Fallen women, that's me. You have a place for me here. You have a place for all of us here and that's incredible. And that's the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I love doing that. Uh, we do a lot of H and I. We do bullet. Uh, we do county jails and dismiss centers and homeless shelters and and that's uh, that's where I, where I, I I tend to be useful. So getting invitations somewhere like Curtis and Kay is crazy, right? I'm just like they had chocolate bread. You guys ever heard of that? I was just blown away. I kept telling my husband all week, put your teeth in. Like, you know, I mean, it's crazy where you'll go. And I, like, you don't know. We are people who typically wouldn't miss, but we're, we're joined together, man. And, and it's incredible. It's incredible. And, and my life is amazing. I, I own my own business today. It's not an escort service. I am no longer a prostitute. Um, if anybody's wondering, but sex works legitimately just my opinion but whatever i do have my own business today and i have a degree and um i'm well respected in my community and i'm well respected in the things that i do and today when i get done here i get to take my mom to lunch there are simple and beautiful blessings in this deal and uh, i hope i never lose sight of them i hope i never um lose that sense of wonder at this thing we get to do guys and if you're new follow the directions you know um stop managing it you suck at it just resign let someone else do that um and you're going to be much happier uh read the literature and um and and plug into these pockets of enthusiasm and find the people that are that have what you want and they're doing what you do man and, and just start um being where they are, man, showing up, showing up. Uh, I went to one meeting so many times and I would introduce myself. My sponsor used to make me introduce myself to at least five people at every meeting. And I go around the writing screen, don't get alcohol, game screen, don't know. And finally, about three months in, one old timer looked at me and she said, I know who you are. You know, like I was dead, man. You're, I, you know, I'm coming in. I'm coming in. I never got kicked out of those sordid places. I didn't care how mean you worked to me. I didn't care if you hurt my feelings. I didn't care if you told me to leave. I'm not going uh, because what I needed was there. And in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, what I need is here. And uh, I, I, I won't be run out with one half um, the zeal we went about getting our next drink we're guaranteed success and i, I was a terrorist out there and uh, if you were between me and what i needed you were in a you were in a predicament um in an alcoholics anonymous like I, I i need to be where what i need is being handed out and i need to be there and i need to be part of that um so much has changed through the years guys and and this thing i just it just continues to get bigger and bigger and i and uh what an amazing uh, journey. If you're new, buckle up, buttercup. Uh, and uh, hang tight. Hang tight. Don't let go. This is a good idea. If you're new and you've lost the magic, man, go find you a girl with dirt on her knees and doesn't know where to go after 9 o'clock. Don't take her home, fellas. Uh, but uh, sit with her and buy her some coffee and uh, watch a miracle happen take somebody through these steps that's what charges me up and the, the working with others that's that's where the magic is um and if you're having trouble finding the door i got a i got a little tip for you uh the fourth dimension we hide it and, and it, it's behind the door marked inconvenient walk on in that's it ralph thank you so much <laughs>